The biggest company in the world has a really big appetite for legal representation. Today on the podcast, we talk about the law firms that are cashing in by being the attorneys at law for Apple Inc. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Today, we're going to be talking about some law firms that probably never need to worry that their client is going to go out of business. That's because their client has a market capitalization of around $2.5 trillion and also makes the device that you're probably listening to this podcast on right now. Yes, it's Apple. It's no surprise that a company of this size spends a lot on hiring attorneys, but just how much and who may surprise you. For example, would you have guessed that Apple steers a lot of its business to two small to mid-sized firms, one in central Texas and the other in Birmingham, Alabama? Apple's legal spend is the focus of a trio of stories from Bloomberg Law's Sam Skolnick, Holly Barker, and Matthew Boltman. They ran the numbers, did the reporting, and figured out what's going on here. And we'll get to those small southern firms in a bit, but first we turn to Sam to quantify just how much money Apple spends on outside firms and who's getting that money. Long story short, David, it is, it's a lot. Uh, we looked at calendar year 2021 last year. Uh, during that year, they utilized outside counsel the most out of any of the, out of all of the 53 uh, large tech companies that we looked at. Um, they were involved in something like uh, about 221 cases. Um, that's where they had outside counsel appearing on, on their behalf. And that was out of a total of 732 cases, about 30%, three out of every 10 cases that any tech company was in court for last year uh, was due to Apple as opposed to IBM, Microsoft, et cetera. Um, and then when you went down the list, that, that 221 number for Apple is even more dramatic when you compare it with the next highest, which was IBM, uh, which had just 67 outside law firm appearances during the course of the same year. And going just a little bit deeper, David, um, they relied on about 11 firms. So almost a dozen firms got sort of the bulk of that work. The, the firm that took the top prize was uh, DLA Piper. I've heard of them. Yes, they are mammoth. Um, and uh, they got the most, the highest number um, Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, among what we call big law firms, uh, was the second most. The interesting thing about your analysis is that, I mean, yeah, the the big firms were on that list, as you would expect, the, the usual suspects. But there were also some much smaller firms that were on that list that, that Apple relied on. Absolutely. Um, so there were two firms. Uh, well, there were a few, but two that really stood out because they had co-equally the second highest number of court appearances just behind DLA Piper at 23 each. Uh, one was is called, it's a Texas-based firm, Kelly Hart and Holman. Uh, the other is uh, based in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Lightfoot, Franklin, and White. Now, I guess I wonder why Apple would go to these small firms. I mean, not, not to knock anything from these firms. I'm sure they're great, but I, I have to imagine that a firm like Gibson Dunn or DLA Piper would be able to offer Apple like anything that it would need in terms of litigation services. Why is it saying I want to go to these smaller boutique firms? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, you're absolutely, you're correct in the notion that the largest firms have scale. They have breadth of legal knowledge and experience. They have resources that small firms can't match, right? And so you would think 
and that a company like Apple, which, as you said, is the biggest in the world by market cap, could afford any law firm, any 20 law firms that they want. They could actually, you know, purchase them if they so desire. Yeah, that's true. But here's what I found in talking to a couple of consultants who they noted a, a, two distinct reasons, clear reasons why smaller firms actually are better in certain types of cases, including the ones that took place in these uh, very specific areas like the West District of Texas. Um, first off is that these firms are uh, cheaper, significantly cheaper. Um, they save uh, companies like Apple and IBM and Microsoft, etc., a lot of money on their legal spend. And there's a, there's something about Apple specifically that I learned uh, that I had no clue about that in my sense is a lot of even tech-savvy folks, folks who study the tech industry, might not be aware just how incredibly rigorous Apple specifically is on watching every single dollar of its legal spend. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you don't get to be the biggest company in the world by being, you know, frivolous with your money, right? Absolutely, and that ethos is held over uh, through, you know, a different uh, general counsel coming in and replacing the old ones. Um, so first off, they're they're much cheaper. Second is, regional litigators often get the best results in court um, in these types of cases, even when you're going to federal court in localities. It's the same judges in different U.S. district court um, regions. And, uh, and so what they're going to find is that you know, it's in part because these firms know the local landscape better than outside counsel ever could. Um, and that in, it, this is in many cases because they've worked or appeared before judges and they've already gained these judges' respect. And oftentimes that leads to a better result or at least to the judge being more favorable toward them with a possibility of getting a favorable result, as opposed to having some outside counsel fly in from New York or Chicago or L.A. who has no clue about the landscape of the judge. Um, there, you know, one observer told me, uh, this quote's in the story, this refers to Kelly Hart and Holman, um, West District of Texas, which one of my colleagues, Matt's going to get into in just a little bit, but he said, look, if you know you're going to the West District of Texas, you want someone with boots on the ground experience there specifically. So I want to get into this Texas firm uh, in a little bit, and we will. But first, let's start with Holly Barker and uh, you know this firm Lightfoot in Alabama, of all places. Um, tell me how they started working with Apple and why they have been so successful in representing Apple in court. From what I can glean from the federal dockets, uh, they started working with Apple in 2008. The most consistent attorney that they've that they've used over there is is Sarah Ann Ford, uh, and she's got this really impressive bench of of class action knowledge. But they more broadly, their firm has a surprising number of genuinely experienced trial litigators. I mean, given sort of how infrequently matters actually proceed to trial at this point, uh, that, that that makes them sort of stand out, not just in their region, but kind of uh, stand out a- across firms altogether. And, and it sounds like it's not just trial experience, but specifically class action trials, because Apple has been involved in a few of those defending against class actions, specifically against allegations that it had software that slowed down some older phones, but this firm, Lightfoot, sounds like they really, uh, you know, went to went to bat for Apple there. 
Lightfoot handled some of those matters originally uh, before they were transferred into multi-district litigation. Uh, The other sort of half of those cases, the ones they've recently taken on, are are over these Vegas-style casino games. Uh, And and it's actually, what makes that set of cases um, more interesting from my perspective, at least, is that it involves a bunch of really uh, novel legal theories that have recently gained a bunch of traction. The lawsuits are premised on the idea that these gaming apps violate existing state gambling laws, like gambling laws that prohibit. And the way that, but it's unclear um, under some state laws whether or not these casino apps actually qualify as gambling because you can't ever redeem the tokens for cash. Like the, the, the tokens you buy or you win, you can only use to play more games. So I got to say, I mean, you know, when I first read your story, I thought, you know, Lightfoot must be one of these really small firms that has like one really big client and just sort of like dines out on that really big client. But then you told me before we started recording, no, that's not the case. They actually have a lot of really big clients, but they're still, a, you know, a relatively small firm based in Alabama. What's going on here? What is Lightfoot doing that it's attracting these like enormous corporate clients? One of the people that I talked to was like, you know, the free market works. Uh, their their lawyers are really experienced, um, and they and and it's true. All the big dogs use them. I mean, they're representing 3M. They represent Volkswagen. They they rep. I mean, it's it would it would take me all day um, to sort of list their big name Fortune 500 clients. And it really does uh, rival that of of much larger national law firms. And the 11th Circuit is sort of peculiar um, in terms of its rules around uh, class actions. And that's the, remind me, that's the circuit that covers the, the southeast part of the country. Yeah. And so, you know, not having to learn all of that, like sort of the the weird idiosyncratic rules about litigating those kinds of matters in, in that jurisdiction before that court is Sarah Ann Ford. She's she's got to know that by now. I mean, she's uh, has over 200 federal court appearances. She's been doing it for decades. Like I, I, you know, I bet it's much easier for her to get into the substance to understand the company and its needs and where it's going and sort of what's at stake in in that litigation because she already gets all this other stuff. It's kind of amazing she hasn't been poached by someone already. Well, you know, they they consistently, I'm I'm not sure which, uh, you know, local award it is, but they're consistently rated for the last few years, one of the best places to work. Um, They, you know, they currently have um, uh, a woman, a female managing partner, and, you know, they're working on diversity and inclusiveness. They are really focused on pro bono. They really prioritize ensuring that their more junior associates get trial experience. So it's you're going to have a team where everybody actually knows what they're doing. And, you know, and, and their compensation model is one where it's not kill what you eat. Um, it's sort of more of a lockstep escalation thing, you know, which I, I think creates a different sort of work culture and ethos. We've talked about the sort of, you know, perils of kill what you eat uh, here on the podcast before. And, and a lot of people seem like they... They do not like that. Um, but let's move uh, now from Alabama to Texas. So, Matthew, tell me about Kelly Hart. Uh, they clearly have this geographic advantage by being close to the main courtroom for patent cases where all these cases are 
are taking place. But I'm guessing that's not the only thing that draws Apple to them, is it? Uh, geographic proximity, yes, but the main draw appears to be a familiarity with Judge Albright's rules and practices. So yes, that's pro- that's. A, I'm glad you phrased it that way. Before we get into that, though, who is Judge Albright? Let's talk about him really briefly. Yeah, as Sam mentioned, Kelly Hart is a, a Texas-based law firm with an office in Austin, which is in the Western District of Texas. That's important because the Western District of Texas has become a big draw for patent cases over the years. Following the appointment of Judge Alan Albright, a former patent litigator, to the bench in Waco. So Apple, like a lot of other tech companies, finds itself being sued for patent infringement in Waco quite often. And that's where Kelly Hart comes in. Um, They worked the majority of patent cases filed last year against Apple in the Western District. And they also worked cases involving companies like Oracle, LG, Lenovo. Yeah, I, I guess if you're, you know, if you're a patent lawyer or you and you defend people who are being sued over patent infringement, you want to work for the big tech companies because they're going to get sued a lot. <laughs> right. And Kelly Hart is typically isn't working these cases alone. So a lot of times it's paired up with a large national law firm like Fish and Richardson, like Morrison and Forrester or Kirkland and Ellis. There is one Kelly Hart partner in particular, Stephen Ravel, who is heavily involved in the work for Apple. He is also part of a working group that Judge Albright has put together to help the judge draft rules for patent case procedures. Mm-hmm. So legal experts I spoke with, and I think Sam alluded to this, for companies like Apple who constantly find themselves in front of Judge Albright are drawn to people who are familiar with the judge and his practices. Um, and they they bring them on board to complement their in-house and outside counsel from national big law firms. And we should say with Judge Albright, I mean, we had, you spoke with him on this podcast a few months ago, and it seems like his main thing is just he really enjoys working on patent cases. And so if you file a patent lawsuit in Waco in his courtroom, he won't transfer it. It will stay in his courtroom. So that's, it, it, is, am I understanding that right, that that's why there's so many patent cases that he's overseeing? That is a part of it. And I, I think it's fair to say there's a perception that plaintiffs, patent owners are attracted to his court because of some of the rules and the procedures that he has put in place. Yeah. However, um, as we mentioned, uh, we spoke with Judge Albright and reading between the lines of what he said, it seemed like he was open to transferring more cases to other courts. You know, it sounds like the, the appeals courts kind of were hinting that he should probably start doing that. Do you see that happening? And if so, how would that affect a law firm like Kelly Hart, where this is their bread and butter is sort of trying these cases in Judge Albright's courtroom? Yeah, to be fair, I mean, the the federal circuit has been critical at times of Judge Albright's analysis in transferring or not transferring cases out of the Western District. He has responded to the, the court's instructions, and there have been it seems a an uptick in the number of cases that have been leaving the Western District. That said, uh, there's there's no indication that the number of patent lawsuits in Judge Albright's court are going to dry up anytime soon. Uh, last year, for example, roughly a quarter of all cases, all patent cases, were filed there, uh, and Judge Albright's bringing on a new magistrate judge to help with the work volume. So, by all indications, there's going to be a lot of work to go around in the Western District going forward. 
what does appear to be happening though is that the competition for these cases is, is increasing with some national law firms expanding their presence in the Western District. Winston and Strawn, for example, recently started renting space in Waco. Uh, Morrison and Forrester announced it was opening an office in Austin, specifically citing the rise of the Western District as a venue for patent litigation. So there might be more competition for the cases to go around. Should if you're if you're Kelly and Hart, you know, if you're a partner there, are you really nervous right now? The short answer is no. Okay. Well, <laughs> Kelly Hart right. has been around for 40 plus years and advertises itself as having more than 150 attorneys in 20 different practice areas. It's only in the past couple of years that the firm has been involved in any meaningful number of patent cases. And even then, it appears the patent lawsuits account for a fraction of the firm's overall work. Okay. Well, I guess a, a rising tide is lifting all boats. Um, Thank you, uh, Matthew Boltman, for chatting with me. And thank you, Holly Barker. And thank you, Sam Skolnick. Uh, This was really interesting. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editors are Cheryl Sines and Andrew Satter. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter. If you have anything on your mind, we use the handle at B-Law. That's B as in, by the time you hear this, my bracket will have been busted. Thanks for listening and see you next week. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.